It was a seminary class, and I'll age myself by telling you it was not in this century. And all of us students were sitting in a semicircle around the perimeter of the classroom to facilitate discussion. Our professor stood at the front of the room in front of the blackboard, dressed in his standard dark gray tweed jacket. Somehow, the discussion had turned into a fairly intense argument. We students were doing the arguing, and our professor, Professor Hendel, just kind of stood there and watched. And you have to know that Professor Hendel was as kind, gentle, and generous a soul as has ever existed. Our discussion, which had devolved into heated debate, was around this question, is there salvation outside the church? And right off the bat, the minute I invoke terms like salvation and church, I know I'm playing inside baseball, so I'll do my best to explain. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. So back to this argument among seminarians, including yours truly, students in the seminary, over the question, is there salvation outside the church? It was just another way in the context of that debate to ask, if someone isn't part of a church, the church, would they go to heaven? Because that's what was meant by salvation, which actually betrayed a very simplistic, reduced understanding of salvation. But more about that in a minute. And since this was a Lutheran seminary, it was understood that membership in the church was affected through baptism. So the argument was also, could a non-baptized person go to heaven? The reductionist understanding of salvation, going to heaven. As the argument got more heated, so did Professor Hendel. Now, this was a big deal because Professor Hendel was almost always smiling, unflappable, loving. But I noticed he was looking less and less pleased and was swaying back and forth against the blackboard, which had the effect of erasing with his tweed jacket whatever was written behind him on the blackboard, which I thought was kind of funny. Finally, he spoke, and you could just tell the frustration was bubbling up to the surface. And he said to all of us, if you are so concerned that an unbaptized person won't get into heaven, why don't you get out of here and go find somebody and baptize them? I think that's the greatest challenge ever. Quit talking about it. Go do it. And again, the larger question, is there salvation outside the church? The entry into which would be baptism. So salvation, understood by many as what happens to us when we die, pie in the sky and the great by and by, or as author Brian McLaren describes it, an evacuation plan to the next world. So salvation as an evacuation from earth to heaven when we die is really a very narrow understanding of this churchy word salvation, and it ignores most of the Bible, which is supposed to be the key written revelation of divine intention for Christians. Here's what I think is a much better understanding of what salvation means from Hebrew scripture scholar Walter Brueggemann. He writes, in the Bible, salvation has to do with wholeness, to have salvation implemented leads to harmony with God, harmony with other human beings, and harmony with the rest of creation. We need salvation, he writes, 
when we experience brokenness instead of wholeness. After the very beginning of the book of Genesis, the Bible presupposes the realities of disharmony and brokenness and focuses on the struggle for salvation amidst these realities. Salvation results in healed brokenness, restored health, restored wholeness. That's Hebrew scripture scholar Walter Brueggemann. And that's a whole lot different than salvation as I go to heaven when I die. This broader view of salvation encompasses themes you can find all over the Bible. I'd even say it's the main theme of the Bible. Jesus gives a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's all about this broader idea of salvation, healed brokenness, restored wholeness, reconciliation, restorative justice that prioritizes repairing harm and maintaining positive human relationships. It might be why, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches this prayer that includes the line, you'll recognize it, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth. Salvation on earth. I don't think it could be much clearer. So, is there salvation outside the church? Well, of course. Because wherever we find harmony with other human beings and harmony with the rest of creation, wherever we find healed brokenness, wherever we find restored health and wholeness, I'd say salvation is there. Maybe the better question is, is the church still managing to show up where salvation is happening? And then you have to also ask, what do we mean by church? Ask most clergy and theologians and institutional church leaders, and you're likely to get an answer of what church is along the lines of wherever the gospel is preached and the sacraments like communion and baptism are rightly administered, and rightly will mean that an ordained clergy person has to be doing it. Or you might hear as an answer, the church is only those who are in full connection, full communion with the Pope in Rome. Or you might hear that the church is only those who have made a profession of faith in Jesus, who have been baptized, and who display evidence of a regenerate life. In other words, a life characterized by a lot less sin and a lot more holiness as evidenced in behavior. That one's more interesting in some ways, maybe has some more potential, but God help us because that whole regenerate life thing is really tricky for us actual broken human beings. I like a lot more the definition of church provided by a feminist theologian named Letty Russell. She described church, and I think describing church, by the way, is a better approach than defining church. Letty Russell described church, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm adding some of my own words to it. She described church as wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name and are practicing the sharing of authority and engaging together in a mutual struggle, a mutual search for meaning, meaning found somehow in this mystical cosmic message of radical love and forgiveness, a sign of the coming fulfillment of God's promise for a new creation, a new creation where hate, war, division, the exercising of power over others instead of power with others, injustice, a new creation because those things are no more. And that work, by the way, is eternal. 
And so those bad things, hate, war, division, injustice, as the way that they're expressed shifts over time, the work of the church and the way it goes about that work of healing division, healing hate, healing and correcting injustice, the way that work is done by the church also needs to shift over time. Okay, now, I share everything I just shared to go on a gentle, tiny little rant. Okay, gentle, maybe not so tiny. You decide. If church is wherever the divine intention for healing, wholeness, justice, and reconciliation is happening, really happening, and if we want to add to that the added notion of church as including wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name and are practicing the sharing of authority and engaging together in this actual on-the-ground work of helping God's divine intention becoming real on earth as it is in heaven, I would like to make a suggestion to my many wonderful, beautiful clergy colleagues, some of whom I've been noticing are making what I think is a serious mistake in how they're presenting themselves and their churches, especially on social media. And trust me, I have and continue to make my share of my own mistakes, and I hope that I can take constructive feedback as good as I'm about to give it. So here's the thing. I see social media feeds for clergy and for the churches they represent featuring the clergy. It looks like this, a post of a picture of a clergy person with the words, it's Sunday morning and the pastor is in. Or, hi, I'm the pastor of St. Sally by the Sea, and today I'm preaching a sermon entitled, fill in the blank. Or, it's just pictures, pictures of pastors, priests, bishops, in our very odd, but sometimes really cool, multicolored ecclesiastical vestments. And I worry sometimes that that looks more like cosplaying. You can Google cosplaying, C-O-S-P-L-A-Y-I-N-G, because I'm not taking that left turn to describe that. If you know what cosplaying means, if not, look it up. C-O-S-P-L-A-Y-I-N-G. Sometimes it looks a little more like cosplaying, and I know it's not. I hope it's not, although maybe sometimes it is. But the point is that those pictures are of really good, well-intentioned, beautiful people who happen to be clergy, often clergy with cool church robes of various types. And the pictures are tight shots of the clergy person. The posts are about the pastors here, or here's the bishop, as if that's the chief selling feature or the best thing that they can think to communicate about who they are and what they're about. And I know that's not what they really want to communicate, but it's what they're communicating. I'd like to suggest a different approach. Post pictures of the community, the community gathered, gathered for the mutual struggle, for the search for meaning, post pictures and accompanying descriptions of two or three or six or 10 gathered in Jesus' name and doing the stuff, the stuff, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, accompanying and befriending the lonely, 
acting and contending for justice. And I know there's problems with that too. Going in that direction will risk virtue signaling. We have to be really careful not to exploit those who are hurting by posting pictures of us serving them to market our church communities. But I think with those cautions, there are ways to share with people who we are and what we are about as communities of healers and justice seekers and reconcilers that might help others to know that they are welcome to join us in this important actual work. Ways of doing that that are a lot stronger and more consistent with who we're called to be and who we conceive ourselves to be and who we're actually trying to be than us clergy posting pictures of ourselves in our ornate or odd clothing and paraphernalia saying, here I am. It's not about the clothes. In another episode, I'll share why I think that those traditions and those ritual vestments can actually be really helpful. But it's not about the clothes. It's about saying, here we are. We are. Here we are. Instead of saying, here I am. Because I know that here we are is what most of my colleagues really do mean. Stay in touch, Bruce at brucecole.tv. Remember you are loved.